Welcome to the One Climbs Podcast, a show about exploring life through the lens of theology, scripture, symbolism, and ideas that uplift the human mind. Today in Elders Quorum, we were talking about repentance, and I had a lot of different thoughts going through my mind that I, I didn't get a chance to share with the class. So I figured I'd, I'd take a couple of notes and just make a podcast about it. So that's kind of what I did. I, I really love the subject of repentance, and I like the all the all the different ideas that I've I've learned about repentance over the years. The teacher today, he took the whiteboard and he divided it into two halves, one with misconceptions that we commonly hear about repentance and then what God's actual view of repentance was. And I thought that was that was a great way to kind of introduce it and talk about it because there are a lot of mis- misconceptions and things that we we get wrong about repentance in a lot of different ways. And I can't go into all of those today and... and uh, I don't, I don't think I even know what all of, all of those different things are, but there's just one little facet of it that I was kind of thinking about. So as we were talking, I I started to have these thoughts coalesce in my mind and they were new thoughts, but I wanted to kind of work through those ideas and, and share them with you. So the, the first thing I started thinking of was parallels between food and eating and overcoming sin or uh, things that that aren't in harmony with God's will. I started to think about this a little bit more, and I considered the principle of fasting. And I started to think about how many times in the scriptures we see fasting used as a means of either acquiring or um, demonstrating spiritual power how often it's used by servants of the Lord to, to kind of amp up their own, their own spiritual power and and the reasons behind why that is and and why they turn to fasting say, well, they, they weaken the body to strengthen uh, the mind. There's a lot of different ideas around that. Suffice it to say, there does seem to be a connection between the physical state of the body and the spiritual state And that those two can often mirror each other. And the Lord uses parables and examples of things that we see in the natural world around us to teach us about spiritual things. And you have that saying about uh, as above, so below that there's, there's kind of a mirror. There are ripples and rhyming to everything everything is, is we're all made of atoms and energy and everything's connected, but often we don't, we don't see those connections. We see, we view things as these, these different types of things, but they are all connected together. And the more that we bring everything into one whole, the more clearly we were able to see solutions to things where there were once just kind of problems that, that we've struggled with over and over again. So, uh, we, we have this, this idea of fasting as a, as a connection to 
spiritual, spiritual strength. But then we also have the ordinance of the sacrament, which also involves eating and drinking. And there, there's a, a spiritual reason for doing this as well. So we have those tied together. And then these last couple of podcasts that I've shared about the word of wisdom, there's, there's very clearly something we need to understand that God's trying to teach us through, through this word of wisdom that he has shared with us about the things that we use to construct our physical temple and how that relates to our spiritual journey as well. So there's definitely something there. And one of the things that, that I've experienced is when I was trying to improve my health, there were certain things that I really, really liked that were not healthy for me at all, but I would eat them anyway. And I knew I needed to not eat those things anymore, but I would keep eating them. I'd get frustrated with myself. I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta stop eating so much of that. Right. So one of the solutions I did, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go research this thing and I, I'm going to see what it does to my body. So I would, I would pick a certain food, maybe like cheese and I would study it and I would see what it actually does to my body, what its composition is, what other effects that it could have. And, and I was really amazed at the things I would learn doing this, this kind of process in some cases, I would learn things about certain foods to where when I understood them, I had no more desire to, to eat those things anymore. It was gone because I did not want the effects of that thing affecting my body. I, I didn't want to deal with the effects of it were. And, you know, there are people I know who also consume certain things that aren't good for their health. And they know that they're probably not good for their health. And I'll, I'll say, well, you know what's in that, right? You know what it's actually doing to your system. And often, um, sometimes people will tell me, they'll indicate they don't want to know. <laughs> They'd rather just be ignorant about it because they love so much the thing that they're partaking of. And man, that just sounds like such a strong parallel to sin. I'm not calling, I'm not calling people who struggle with eating certain things sinners. What I'm saying is there's a parallel to how our minds work when it comes to, um, how we deal with things that are, that are, I'll just say they're not good for us. And there's a, and there's a large spectrum of what you consider something to be good or bad for you. So, you know, almost every medicine you take in the wrong amount will kill you or damage you or affect you negatively, but it's, it's all in the dose. They say the poison is in the dose. We got to make sure that, that there's this, this balance happening between what we're doing. And I think that happens spiritually too. So you could take a spiritual problem. Let's say there's a particular uh, sin that you're struggling with. You can continue fighting against it. You can continue trying to say, well, I'm going to stop this and I'm going to, I'm going to make myself change. I'm going to, I'm going to do all these different things. I'm going to use my own strength and, and sheer will to, to fight and accomplish these things. Um, or you could take them to the Lord. You can look at them through the lens of scripture. You could look at them through the lens of what the servants of the Lord have had to say. You can take it before the Lord and ask him to help you see something about this the way that he sees it to enlighten your mind and your understanding and then, and allow the guidance of the spirits kind of parse out 
the meaning or the, the view and the perspective of that thing. And at that point, it, it kind of reminds me of the high priests in Alma chapter 13, where it says that they, they could no more look upon sin, save it were with abhorrence. That was because they had been, they said they'd been cleansed, sanctified by the Holy Ghost, or in other words, the mind of God, that their, their own minds had meshed with the mind of God to the degree that they saw the sin the same or similar way or enough of how God saw it in order for them to be able to abhor it as he himself would. One of the misconceptions I, I volunteered to put on the board was that repentance is, our focus is our, our behavior and the view the view that God would have is, is a focus on our mind, changing the mind instead of focusing so much on changing the behavior. Because if you change the mind, you change the behavior. You can change the behavior, but the mind can still long after and seek those types of, of things out. One of the other things that came up is people in the class were using, I, I, so I said, uh, I was talking about the mind you know, this, this focus on the mind, God wants a change of mind. And immediately after, um, another brother in class said, or, you know, or a change of heart, he, and so they put heart slash mind up there. I, I didn't, I didn't want to try like, uh, getting into the, the nitty gritty of those terms, but just to, to tack on to this, uh, this particular episode, what I've always kind of found confusing was this talk of heart and mind in the scriptures and whatnot. But as I did more research, I came to find out that to the Hebrews, the heart and the mind were, were fairly synonymous that if you look at the heart, it's the most protected organ in the body. It's surrounded by a rib cage, a spine. Um, it's, it's got all this other, these other organs around it. It's, it's the deepest organ in our body, the thickest part of our body. Well, uh, for a lot of people is their, their chest area, right? And the heart is deep within there. And so back then, it, symbolically, it made sense that the heart was the center of the person. And, and they didn't know about brains and, and all of those things. And so it was thought that the mind actually resided in the heart. And, you know, when you think about things and you experience certain things, your heart can beat faster. You feel a burning within a lot of the experiences that we have seem to happen in the center of us, you know, even down in the bowels and everything, but, and the bowels were kind of distinct from the heart, but that made a lot of sense to view the heart as this central location, the seat of, of our, of our mind. Now, when the Greeks come along in the New Testament, you see heart, might, mind, and strength. You see this, this kind of uh, additional factor, the mind. And the Greeks had their own philosophies about, about the mind being a distinct thing. And um, Plato, I think he divided the, the body up into these four different components. And he even divided the mind up into these different types of things. And, and he talked about um, logic and reason. So you can, you have your five senses where you discern things, but you also have philosophy, which is another way of discerning through not using any of the five senses at all. So he saw that as, as something additional and that the heart, um, at least in my understanding to the Greeks, they, they had this separation. The heart was more emotional the mind was more logical. And, 
and you see some of that reflected in the New Testament. In the Book of Mormon, you get kind of a mix of both. But for for all intents and purposes, it's the the clearest way that I see thing is just the mind and the heart are essentially talking about the same thing. It's the center of of you. You are we could even use the word intelligence. Um, the phrase that we see occurring in the book of Abraham and in Doctrine and Covenants, this, this whole idea of intelligences. And, and you know, you can make a lot of arguments for intelligence, mind, and heart being three different things. You can separate those things out if you want to. I personally prefer to see, to see my own self as one whole being. My body is distinct from my, my, my mind slash heart. But I typically use the word mind because I think mind is is more accurate in how maybe the Hebrews would would have said it. Whereas today, when you say heart, you think a lot about feelings and emotion. Valentine's Day, the symbol of the heart. There's a whole other connotation that comes with heart. But we all understand what a mind is. And when you when you look back at the Old Testament and you read a lot of those things when they're talking about the heart could very easily just swap out mind. In fact, mind works better in a lot of those cases than, than I think heart does. But, but I do think the Hebrew word is, is, you know, heart. Um, I'd have to go back and research. I definitely encourage you to go and research these things on your own and, and you'll probably have different people coming to different conclusions, but altogether it's easy for me to, to look at it as one, one kind of whole, the center, the center of where things happen the seat of, of your will and your, your understanding and all those things. So anyway, those are just my thoughts. So a couple of things to look into, look into the way heart and mind are used between Hebrews and Greeks, and then look more into how we look at foods and the things that we consume in our bodies and also the spiritual things that we have happen to us. How do we overcome our physical appetites and how does that relate to our our mental appetites or our spiritual appetites and the things that we that we strive after and that we feed our minds that are not nourishing to our minds that are more so poison to our minds but they taste delicious to us right so how do we how can looking at food and using tools that god's given us like the word of wisdom how can those things affect how we overcome spiritual challenges such as uh, sins and even weaknesses and involve God in those solutions. We involve scientists and research and study in the scientific method and understanding food. We have microscopes and um, chemistry and all these great tools to help us understand how foods impact our bodies. But when it comes to spiritual things or ideas you can't use chemistry, you can't put an idea in a Petri dish and, and mess with it or put it under a microscope. Now, you, you could use philosophy to examine and reason to examine ideas, but even then, that philosophy and reason is limited to the context of the physical world. But ultimately, there's nothing in the physical world other than the things that we invent ourselves that convey meaning. We create meaning. People create meaning. This guy says this means this. This guy says this mean that means that. But ultimately, what does God say that it means? Since he's the creator of everything, 
shouldn't what he thinks things mean supersede everything else? So anyway, those are the things I'll throw out there for you to think about. That, that's what's been on my mind lately. I hope that uh, that something in the, the message today can be a blessing to you in your life. And hey, we'll talk to you again later.